want to add my welcome to you all this morning. My name is Greg Durenberger, and I'm a senior pastor of Emmaus Road Church, one of the three elders, and uh, we are so happy to worship with you today. Uh, I do want to invite you to turn, if you would, in either your Bibles or your electronic devices to Daniel chapter 3, and we are going to continue now this sermon series that we've entitled Kings and Kingdoms. I'm going to jump right into and uh, read in its entirety the third chapter of Daniel. And um, I think what I'd like you to do, I'm going to read the whole thing. It's 30 verses. It takes me about 10 minutes to read it. But I'd like you to stand and follow along. Uh, So in honor of God's word, if you're able to to last for 10 minutes, please stand together. (laughs) And let's pay very careful attention. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar Had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, Lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews 
whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. And he declared, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of God. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the word. Through the word which points to Christ. Which proclaims Christ crucified risen, Christ who bore the flames that we deserve, Christ that rose again triumphant over the flames, over the grave, over death, over your wrath. And so, Lord, we look to Jesus today and we pray Pray that as we look to Jesus, you would magnify the glory of your Son and magnify the power of your Word to bring new life, new birth, a great sanctifying, transforming work in the hearts and souls, lives of your people. Oh, we pray this would be for your glory, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's, uh, it's really something, I think, to hear God's Word, particularly this chapter. The purpose of the book of Daniel is to encourage, uh, to engender courage and uh, persevering faith in the hearts of God's people in the very darkest of times. And the writer shows us that a, a person of genuine faith may not only survive in a culture that is opposed to what we treasure most, they may even thrive. And the way to thrive 
is not to bend the knee of our hearts to what our culture calls us to love and worship and yield to. The way to thrive in a culture that opposes biblical values is to turn to the Lord and trust Him with all our hearts. It may sound counterintuitive, but the way we thrive in Babylon, metaphorically speaking, the way we thrive in our Babylon is not by bowing down to Babylon's idols. The way we thrive in Babylon, the way we actually transform Babylon is by worshiping and obeying God and God alone. Now, Daniel chapter 3 verses 1 through 7, it, it just paints this horrific scene Nebuchadnezzar has apparently taken the interpretation of his dream in chapter 2 seriously. And rather than settling for what the dream pronounced as a temporary reign, he creates a monster that he intends to last. And he erects a statue of gold 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. That's the equivalent of all these cubits. And uh, you know, it's a Babylonian Megatronus Prime, I guess you might say. And, and it's not incidental that he sets up this golden statue on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. According to chapter 1, verse 2, that, that flat land is in the land of Shinar. And according to Genesis chapter 11, it was on that plain in Shinar where people sought to unite themselves against God. They built a tower by which they might reach heaven. And God gave a little and goes like that and turned the people into peoples and nations and languages. But now, in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar's aim is to essentially reverse the consequences of the Tower of Babel and to reunify the whole world against God. And it is a stunning display of arrogance and defiance. Any Israelite reading Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, following the events of Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 have 7, it, it just would have set off alarm bells ringing and lights flashing. The, the Ten Commandments specifically forbade making images to worship. And five times, just in these first seven verses, the author repeats the phrase, the image King Nebuchadnezzar set up. So, we're not just talking about idolatry. We are talking Nebuchadnezzar's desire to exalt himself through idolatry. And then there's the repetition of the, the lengthy list of all the officials who are summoned to gather and bow before the stat, statue. I'm not quite sure what a satrap is, but um, two times the writer takes us through this directory. And, and really the meaning of it is that anybody and everybody who has 
any influence is going to be in on this abomination. So it's just pervasive, pervasive. And then then there's the long list of musical instruments whose purpose is to call the world to worship. Repeated in verse 5, verse 7, again in verse 10, verse 15. What we're supposed to get from this and what we're supposed to see is that this is going to be like some production, right? It's going to be bigger and broader than Broadway. And then finally, to top it all off, verse, seven, or verse 4 excuse me, tells us that the whole world, the whole world, all peoples, all nations, all languages are commanded to fall in line. And if anybody does not bend the knee, if anyone does not worship the golden image, they shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Do you recognize the similarity to the times in which we live? Our culture has set up its own golden image. Our culture demands that everyone get down on their knees. Our culture is tearing itself apart for the sake of self-exaltation. It is not hard to see, it is not hard to feel the threat of actual punishment if all peoples and all nations and all languages refuse to bow down and praise and worship the idolatrous image of doing one's own thing. Daniel chapter 3 verses 8 through 12 only intensifies the scenario and increases our sense of hopelessness hopelessness of anything good coming of this. It seems that no one will escape this onslaught of darkness, this tsunami of idolatrous self-exaltation. Not even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Though they choose courageously not to cave into this cultural drift and be swept away, the Chaldeans are resolved to make sure that Our three heroes get caught. Verse 8 says, Certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. The the text literally reads, They ate their pieces. (laughs) Or as we might say, They got their teeth into them. And then according to verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar just goes off with this expression of furious rage, a reaction that leaves us with even less hope, and then his arrogant and really sarcastic question in verse 15 brings the whole situation to this very dark and ugly climax when he says, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Is this not where the trajectory of idolatry and self-exaltation always ends. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. 
they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. And therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Then the tone of the narrative takes a sudden shift in verses 16 to 18, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego take a stand. Listen to this again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Why would, why would anyone choose to trust and obey God when all is against them. Why would anyone choose to trust and obey God when the heat is just literally dialed up to the max? The crucible is melting everything down. Why? On what basis? It's because they believe. It's because they believed first and foremost, that God is a great God above all gods. You know, as massive, as towering was Nebuchadnezzar's statue, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was infinitely higher and infinitely greater. According to Daniel chapter 2, verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Your monument is tall, but it's not that tall. Your statue is golden, but does he reveal mysteries? Does he speak? Does he hear? Does he deliver in the day of trouble? When a biblical author uses repetition, like like all of us, he does so to make a point. And the repetitions stress the dire nature of the situation. They heighten the overwhelming sense of impossibility for any kind of a good ending here. But when you read it out loud, as I did earlier, <laughs> did you notice how funny it sounds? <laughs> um, I mean, over and over and over. The, the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up, set up, set up, set up, set up. Uh, over and over again, you know, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, magistrates, all the officials of the provinces. Or this droning on about horns, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music. Uh, on, on the one hand, what the author does and means by 
doing that is to make us feel the, the intense, terrible audacity of Nebuchadnezzar's idolatrous self-exaltation. This is really, really bad. But on the other hand, and right in the midst of it, it sounds like the writer is, he's mocking it. <laughs> I think he is mocking it. The narrative is dripping with sarcasm and irony. Look at verse 15. If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? <laughs> and the, it's like the writer's just going... <laughs> because you know what? Who are the very ones who obeyed Nebuchadnezzar's command and died themselves in the burning, fiery furnace? And the ones who Nebuchadnezzar condemned walk out free. Loved ones, the idols of our culture call us to bow down. And these idols are certainly nothing to laugh at. Their effects are devastating. The very fabric of our culture is being torn apart. But our God is a great God above all gods. And as overwhelming and as ominous as this as the, the idolatrous wave of force around us may seem to be, you may be certain that compared to our God, who is in the heavens, who reveals mysteries, they're just the stuff of tragic comedy. And when His purpose for them is done, you can be sure that day will come, they will be done. And he's just going to go, just like that. And that is why we can trust him and why we can stand up and stand firm. There's another reason to trust God when the heat is on, and that's because our God is able he is able. The reason that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood rather than caved in, got down on their knees and put their faces on the ground and their behinds up in the air is, is because uh, they trusted that God was able to deliver them in their day of trouble. Verse 15 again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is what? He's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So, you know, they may not have been 
absolutely certain what God's deliverance would look like. Maybe God would rescue them from compulsory sin by bringing them home to himself right then. But whatever shape his deliverance took, they were convinced and had full assurance that he would deliver because he is able to deliver. How did they know that? Where did this assurance come from? Well, their faith had been tested, certainly in chapter 1. How was it that they proved to be ten times better in every matter of wisdom and understanding than the court magicians and enchanters? (laughs) It's because they had turned to God in their day of trouble. And He had shown them His favor and blessing. Honored them in their resolve not to bend the knee. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar is on another one of his killing sprees. You know, they called on the Lord in their day of trouble, and God miraculously intervened and delivered them. Two chapters, two miracles. Did that guarantee that God would rescue in the very same way again? Not necessarily, but it certainly engendered trust that He could. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, our God is able to to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Just one more of many reasons to trust God when the heat is on. And that's because at all times and in every situation, God always gets the glory. His purpose will never be thwarted. Verse 25, there's another miracle. Start in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, it's from this point on that the, that the whole focus of the narrative, it's just completely changed. Up until this point, the idolatrous worship was the focal point, but, but from here on, even... Nebuchadnezzar puts his focus on God. Verse 26, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he says, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Verse 28, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. What a turnaround. A chapter that begins with man aiming to exalting himself ends with God getting all the glory. Is it not remarkable how 
quickly things can change? Is it not remarkable how broadly a culture may be transformed when even a few, like maybe just three, refuse to bow down to idols or bend the knee to their own self-exaltation? Loved ones, the the miracle of Daniel chapter 3 is that God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. That's the miracle. And he promises to be with us when the heat is on as well. But now let me just make a little transition here. Jesus went through his own personal furnace experience, and he did so completely alone. We we have this promise of God's sustaining presence with us in our tests, in our trials, when the heat is just jacked up. But on the cross... Jesus felt the utter aloneness of total abandonment by God. When he walked through the fire, there was no one by his side. When when the fire of God's wrath burned him to the core and blazed over him unchecked, Jesus was entirely alone. No friend to share the burden No angel sent to relieve the agony. No saving hand from God stretched down to preserve this, his faithful servant, in his moment of greatest need. Why is that? Why would God be with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but not his own son? Why would God be faithful to idolatrous and self-exalting sinners like us, promising His presence to us, and then abandon Jesus, His perfect chosen one? Shouldn't it be the other way around? On that cross, Jesus was taking into himself the fiery pain we deserved for our compromise, for our idolatry. I, I, I mean, just speaking for myself, unlike Daniel's three friends, um, I'm not one of the heroes of this story. Every time we bow down to the idols of our hearts, we are accruing merit of God's judgment. Nebuchadnezzar is not the only one who condemns to fire those who refuse to bow their knee and worship. Our God, who is holy and just, rightfully demands the wholehearted homage of those whom he has created. The good news is that God took all 
the fiery judgment that we deserved and poured it out on his son. Jesus paid the price of our hell during those hours that he hung on the cross and he walked safely out the other side. And by entrusting ourselves to him, his perfect faithfulness to the Father is now credited to us as if it were our own. A faithfulness, a faithfulness that far exceeds that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is now yours and mine as a free gift. And God gets all the glory. Are you trusting Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin? For those who believe... God's power is at work both to save us from the threat of God's judgment that we so richly deserve, but also to carry out His perfecting, sanctifying work in us and through us. God chose us, saved us in Christ so that we should be holy and blameless in Him to the praise of His glorious grace. So now turn to Him and trust in Him and call upon Him. And follow him. Let's pray together. We're reminded, O oh Lord, that there is none like you. There's none greater than you. None more powerful than you. None more worthy to be exalted than you. We've fallen short of treasuring you as we ought. Probably every day there's a moment where our knees bend and our heads bow and our hearts run after some other promise to satisfy than you, some other promise of comfort than you, some other promise of satisfaction and joy and happiness and completeness and fullness than you. We're the ones that deserve the burning, fiery furnace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that on the cross you endured the wrath, you endured the punishment. You endured hell in our place. So we place our trust fully in you. Hoping in you. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for dying for our sins. We trust you. And you alone. Be exalted now, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. It's our custom on the first Sunday of the month to, to give a special time and place to reflecting on Jesus bearing the punishment we deserved and uh, on the cross. And so we take these elements, these pieces of bread, these cups of juice, um, as symbols of his broken body and his shed blood. And by holding them, we're proclaiming that Jesus died for, the, for sins and by Eating and drinking, we are proclaiming that he died for our sins.
And so we invite you to come. Come down the center aisle. Leave a little bit of space between one another. There is a gluten-free option right there in the middle. And uh, this is an open table for, uh, you don't have to be a member of Emmaus Road Church, but uh, if you're not trusting Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for the fulfillment of every promise that the Lord has made, including eternal life, then this would be a good time for you just to stay put and contemplate the things God's Word has said to us today. God bless you.